Nick Gray. Drake Hills, how are you doing? Oh, my good friend. I'm doing pretty good. It's quite interesting, though. Uh, we are actually getting back into a rhythm recording plugged in, getting the fans, giving what Jalen Rose says, the people what they want. Big Jalen Jacoby fan? Yeah. Big Jalen yeah. Jacoby fan. Uh, this is plugged in, my friend. This is, it is. This, this is another episode, season two. We're back at it again. I believe this is episode 10. Are we in the 10th episode? Season two, second season, plugged in a national soccer podcast. This is your co-host, Drake Hills, alongside producer Nick. As we all know him, Nick Gray is in the building. Toronto FC1, Nashville FC1. We're recording on the 3rd, August. and Tuesday. Tuesday. On Sunday, Nashville FC went north for the first time ever in MLS. They went to BMO Field in Toronto, got a 1-1 draw. And I just want to nip in the butt real quick. Nick Gray, you thought that was zero points coming out of that for Nashville SC. You thought there was going to be a loss. You said that that was going to be an inevitable event. And I said, no, as much credit Toronto receives and, you know, pretty much being what, five matches unbeaten now uh, since yeah. – Javier Perez took over as the interim manager after Chris Armas was fired. You've got Josie Altidore back at center forward. You've got Marky Delgado. You've got Jefferson Soteldo, who has been playing very well, very shifty, even though at five foot two, the man is a problem. He was a problem. I mean, he, was for a big, he was a big problem on Sunday. <laughs> he was a problem for Nashville C on Sunday. But listen, I knew that that was going to be an extension of the unbeaten streak. I believe Nashville C is at eight matches unbeaten now going back to uh, their Juneteenth loss at New York Red Bulls. But I just had to point that out, Nick, because as as troubling as Toronto was towards the end of the first half, and of course, a lot of drama at the end of the match um, with a possible Robert Castellanos uh, handball or a foul, not handball, but a foul, I believe it was one of the two. Anyway, the refs whistle stayed in his pocket and although that could have been danger for nashville they break out of canada with a point and now they are on their way uh, to a big big matchup against the conference leading new england revolution what is my pick as the landon dalvin mls mvp carlos hill gustavo bow adam buxa Tejan buchanan is probably going to be back from international duty with canada as we saw with Nashville, you had Alistair Johnston in the lineup, giving, I believe it was 68 minutes at right wing back for Nashville coming off of his Canadian duties. Um, and then flying, flying back from Houston straight to Toronto, right? Indeed. They play on a Thursday last week. He gets on a flight Friday, flies directly from Houston into his hometown or uh, the general vicinity of Ontario. He gets in. He actually flew with Toronto FC player Jonathan Osorio to get back to MLS business. Um, so you're getting players back. That's another mention that uh, we saw Jack Mayer come into the fold again after being sidelined for the past two with health and safety protocols looming. We didn't see Dan Lovitz, however, who was out for the exact same reason. We also did not see Jelani Baba, who in subsequently was announced that he wasn't able to make the trip due to border restrictions. So that's why we saw, as we mentioned, Robert Castellanos, MLS MVP. I got to shout out Robert. He's coming from the San Diego area. He played for Nomads, which is a very 
uh, popular uh, club out there in the San Diego area. If you want to get some names, we've got Eric Winalda. We've got Ed Earl Edwards Jr. We've got Joe Corona. We've got uh, Marcelo Baboa. We've got we've got guys. We got some dogs. All right, Nomads. <laughs> Shout out Nomads. Robert Castellanos coming in his first MLS match uh, after coming from Rio Grande Valley, Toros FC out there in USL. He makes his first appearance um, and was told only an hour before kickoff that he was starting, and he scores in the first half of his first MLS game at Toronto FC, one of the toughest uh, oppositions and one of the toughest environments uh, in MLS. So we got to shout him out as well. I was impressed by the ability of Nashville SC to stare at a one nothing lead in which they were clearly second best and, and scrape together the goal and enough good play to see them get out of there with the, with a point. I, I think – I don't think I was totally wrong on the fact that it looked like Nashville SC, given the rotation and given the depth that they had to use on Sunday, that they were vulnerable. I think they were vulnerable to be taken, you know, taken to a loss. And honestly, they probably still were second best, but they ended up with the point. And so I think that kind of game shows me, even though it was against a, a, a side that's lower in on the table, that shows me the kinds of things that I want to see from Nashville SC once we get towards October and November. Uh, we know, obviously, that Toronto FC is a team that has given Nashville SC trouble this year, but also it's a team that Nashville SC knocked out last year in the playoffs. So there should be some some juice into that. And I think we've seen that with the way that these two games have come, have, have uh Worked themselves out this 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 year. Obviously, Robert Castellanos is is a a a good story. That's a good story and a good guy to have. And it seems like this National SC team has a ton of not a ton, but a good amount of guys who don't get don't get great opportunity. You know, don't get to, when they get the opportunity for one reason or another, they seem to have the guys that utilize that opportunity to its fullest. Yeah, and as much as we want to talk about the match against Toronto FC, you bring up a good point and a good segue, Nick, which is a lot of the guys who are needing to, I guess, fill in and be able to be a part of the same shape, the same attitude, the same, shall we say, pretty much the same business, you know, taking care of the same business that the starter would, Anibal Godoy or Walker Zimmerman, whoever is normally starting for this team. Uh, they're taking care of the same business, and that is the Robert Castellanos of the world, the Taylor Washingtons, the Eric Millers, who were once again at the wingback positions for Nashville and have been for the past couple of matches. Uh, and it's been it's been quite an interesting, uh, I guess, mini chapter in this summer gauntlet, starting against a really intense Columbus crew. You talk about another intense match on the road for Nashville. They go to Columbus on the 21st last month. They skate away goalless um, in lower dot com field, which having been there, having watched it in person was electric. And it was the first MLS stadium that I've been to that truly felt that the opposite end of the supporter section was louder, was either the same level or if not louder than the supporter section. The North Decker was was great. It had the atmosphere. It had 
the intense, the chance, you name it, right? But the opposite end, which is the direction that Columbus were going towards in the second half, I'm like it gave you the chills almost. And that's how intense it was. So for Jaleani Baba, Dave Romney, Eric Miller, and Taylor Washington, which was their first uh, addition as starters because of the Dan Lovitz and the Jack Mayer health and safety protocol situation, which came out pretty much, I want to say, 24 to 40 hours prior to kickoff. Um, Eric Miller and Taylor Washington have done well in filling in. So as much as we want to talk about Toronto and thinking backwards, we need to think forwards. We've got two National Sea matches within the next five days. Both are on the road, and both are going to be in some pretty nasty environments for very, very different reasons. One being a conference-leading New England Revolution, who have done quite well at home at Gillette Stadium on Wednesday. And then you've got a very humid, hot, and sticky match down there in Fort Lauderdale against Inter-Miami CF. Struggling side, they beat in, they beat Montreal on the backs of Gonzalo Higuain. However, they have been struggling, absolutely struggling to keep the ball out of the net. But still, it's a pressure, especially if you can't get a point or three points out of a road match against New England, that puts a lot of pressure on you to walk away from this three-match in eight days without a win. And so we're going back to these players, Eric Miller, Taylor Washington, Matt LaGrasse, Brian Anunga, Robert Castellanos, Jack Mayer, and and the like. So what we should call this episode really are the undervalued and unsung heroes of the summer. Nick Gray, let me ask you this. Who are your top three National Sea players that are undervalued and are have been unsung to begin the first half of this MLS season? I think the first one on top of my list, and when you mentioned to me that this might be something you want to talk about, I called it the Brian Anunga episode because that's a guy – when we talked earlier in the, before the season started, we wanted to know what kind of midfield player would step up behind the obvious three of Mukhtar, Godoy, and Dax McCarty. Anunga has shown the ability to be versatile and to not and to play. And obviously, the way he does play, it's not without any. He is fearless. He is. He's certainly fearless. He's very physical. Um, he, he gives your, your side an edge, and it's, it's, it's fun to see a team. And honestly, it, it, there could be some arguments to be made that depending on, like, say, if the full squad, say you get into later in the year and you're going into a place like Columbus, as you were talking about, and you have the full squad available, there is an argument to be made, in my opinion, that a guy like Anunga is important, maybe not to start, but to be in that game with 30 minutes left, if it's 0-0-1-1, to be able to carry out the points. And I think he's a guy that's shown to be reliable, shown to play very physical, and shown to be a guy that when you see a guy like that play and you're another player, that's that's a fun – that's something that can motivate you to, you know, if he's – doing all of that for the team, I can do stuff for the team too. So that's my first guy. I, I really enjoy watching him play. That's the kind of player 
that can play, I think, on any type of side in the MLS. I think he's just that versatile. I think he can play behind Hani Mutar. He can play in a pinch in the Hani Mutar spot if the the you know in for Hani Mutar if the situation scenario provided itself. But uh, that'd be number one. Number two, Taylor Washington. When you thought, and I was thinking about this actually during the game on Sunday while I was watching. I was thinking about in the USL, thinking about the, some of the players from those two years, and, and thinking about traits and like what traits in the MLS that could relate to the MLS, and, and what what were MLS quality traits that I saw from some of those players. And always, even back then, the number one thing I thought was the pace of Taylor Washington mm. uh, made me think that he could be a guy that could help with the MLS when it became an MLS franchise. And he certainly has done that. And I don't know if I thought he could be this big of a contributor on an MLS side where you could say, all right, we're going to need you for three or four games to ha- to take the bulk of the minutes at either left back or left wing back. But it works. It works because he and Johnston, I think, are somewhat similar. I think he's a little more pace here than, than Johnston, but I think they, they work well together. A little, on each a, little a lot. A lot. <laughs> T-Dub is one of the fastest players in the squad right now. Sure, I'm, sure. He's, and he's, he's, he, to me, he's probably he's legitimately top five. Yeah. And the di- he, he, he's a dynamic player who, can, who shows the ability to – and you're going to see this through the six – you know, if we go through all six of the players, they're different. He's another guy who just does whatever it needs to be done for him to stay – on the field and and be a positive part of the team. I've been surprised there's been a couple of like a couple of crosses where he's created chances where you're like, all right, I know he could, you know, get down the field and, and move the ball up the pitch. But some of the things in the USL that he wasn't as good on as as others that he's certainly improved on over the last couple of years is that he is able to make those crosses. He is able to create those chances. And he is able to be a part of the conversation in attack, which is a major step up by for him from my vantage point and makes him a player that maybe not is going to be a starter, obviously, when you have everybody back and healthy. But certainly a guy that isn't someone that, you know, is going to come in with 10 minutes left and just, just to have extra, you know, fresh set of legs. I think he can provide more to the team than that. And that's, I don't want to say surprising. That's probably not the right word, but I, I, I think pleased to see Taylor Washington be that kind of contributor for, for Nashville SC. And number three, I was thinking about this. Uh, obviously Jack Mayer has, mm. has come to mind when it comes to guys that I think should get more time. Obviously Walker Zimmerman, Dave Romney, you, you don't want to take minutes from them. Once uh, Zimmerman gets back healthy, Maybe you'll rotate in once Zimmerman is healthy. Rotate in for for Romney, so there's not uh, so you're not wearing him down to the the core. But uh, you know, Jack Mayer seems it. yeah, right. But I, I still think you gotta you gotta be mindful of player as much as the players be mindful of themselves there. And I think Jack Mayer has shown there's been some you know some some situations where he's been a little slow to anticipate some things. But overall, it's a guy that is comfortable with the ball on his feet. It's a guy who 
has the size to be a a impactful player, both defending the air and you know on crosses. Yeah, um, I think he provides you with not much of a drop off from Dave Romney and Walker Zimmerman from in some aspects. Now, obviously, I don't think he's done anything to relieve them of any or to really put pressure on them in terms of thinking about the starting 11, if healthy. But he is certainly making, I think, fulfilling what he could do as a top, as, as the first pick in the MLS Super Draft in the history of the club. And for that, I think he's number three. Well, Nick, I, I want to congratulate you for taking um, – All three? My to- my, now, not, not, not my three, but my two. You've taken my top two because I definitely agree that uh, Taylor Washington and obviously Brian Anunga is just the easiest pick. I think he's in a league of his own in terms of this squad. He is truly a super sub. Yeah. I don't think that there is a player right now that was not originally a starter that can be on that level right now. Whether you're talking about form or just pure talent. I think when you look at, a guy like an Alex Mouille, who very well, very may well be out of the 11 once an Akiloba comes in and joins Randall Leal and Hani Mukhtar in that front three. Alex Mouille could very well see himself as a super sub as well. But look, he came in last September as a starter, someone who Gary Smith has been high on and rightfully so, someone who does his defensive duties. Yes, he's been tagged as a defensive winger, yada, yada, yada. But if you were to talk to first assistant Steve Guppy, he will tell you Alex Muell is probably the most improved when it comes from uh, when, you, when you just talk about his bag, his bag of tricks. Yeah. He's not someone who hasn't had a ton of step over. It's a ton of a lot, a lot of a lot of flamboyancy. But when you talk when you talk about one on ones, he's created a few more chances. And I think although Luke Hawkinson will likely pass him up in that category as far as his attacking intangibles, uh, someone who is physically and mentally at that top tier as far as what you want from a Gary Smith winger, Alex Muell is there. So he will probably be a super sub, but Brian Anunga, someone who hadn't played in MLS before 2020, comes in from Charleston Battery, has you know an, an incredible work rate and an incredible uh, form of athleticism. Although he's only about 5'9", 5'10", he's a good, rock-solid, strong guy. Dax McCarty calls him the best ball winner he's ever played with. He's also, in my opinion, gotten a lot better at passing the ball in between the lines, being a double-pivoted type of midfielder who can do some of the more offensive responsibilities. And he did say when he scored, I believe that was against Chicago, he said, this season I feel I have a little bit more leeway, a little more – freedom to go forward when I want and not just protecting the back line. And I think we've seen that from Brian Anunga. But I will say where we differ, Nicholas, is number three. And you took Jack Mayer. I'm taking Jaleel Anibaba. Mm-hmm. Okay. 11 years I- in the league before you got Walker Zimmerman on a club record signing as a, as a defender, well over the a million mark in, you know, in GAM. That would have been your right center back next to Dave Romney if you hadn't acquired Walker Zimmerman in the middle of the 2020 preseason. So someone who, if you look at just how he's performed since Walker went to 
U.S. men's national team duty. I mean, he's played. He's had, I believe, four starts. He's only missed four passes. He's only missed four passes in all his passes that he's attempted in, in all of his games. Um, you take a look at his blocks. He's in around the 70th percentile, so he does his job defensively. Uh, he wins his aerial battles. He is also someone who commands the back line. Dave Romney is your leader by example. He's told me that in multiple conversations that we've had uh, dating back to last year. But again, this year, Juliana Baba is your vocal leader. He is someone who will get in your face, but he will also encourage you. He's someone who uh, basically is the the voice echoing out of Joe Willis in goal. He echoes that into the midfield. He tells Dax. He tells Anunga. He tells Jack Mayer or Eric Miller or um, Taylor Washington. He commands everyone on the field. And if you were to ask anybody um, in the squad, you know they would tell you. And if you've been at training like me, you would have seen dating back to last year that Jaleel is just simply that type of guy. So I think that wraps up our unsung and undervalued heroes uh, for, I guess, this summer gauntlet of games. But – I have one question for you. Can That's a cool. guy can a guy with 211 career MLS starts be considered unsung? Yes. Take a Why look at take a look take a look at his stint with Seattle after okay. pretty much after pretty much starting all but what maybe like five or six matches with Chicago in his first 3 years in the league starting back in 2011, Jaleel has came into Seattle expecting to be that same type of starter who was pretty much going to play everything except maybe a U.S. Open Cup match or two. And he goes into Seattle, doesn't really play much. He leaves Seattle, right? He goes into Houston. He kind of he has a little bit of a resurgence. Then that 2017 season, I don't think he really played much. Then he goes to New England, works his way back up again. And that's who Jaleel was known for, being someone who is next to Andy Farrell in that central defense a really strong guy who wasn't <laughs> who wasn't going to be bullied by any center forward, but also was a good, dependable passer of the ball. But he's not in the limelight. I mean, he's also a center back. So how many center backs do you know that have been from club to club being well sunk? Not many. So not many. it's it's an easy selection to select a center back here uh, for someone who's who's unsung. But looking at the rest uh, of this month, Nick, obviously we've talked about the New England and Miami matchups. You go back home if you're Nashville to go up against D.C. and Orlando on the 15th and the 18th. That's going to be a tough turnaround. And then you end the month back at Atlanta United uh, under different leadership. Gabriel Heinze is out. Well, who knows who will be in? Who knows who will be in? It's not going to be Paulo Fonseca. We know that much. Yes, interim manager for for Atlanta right now, or not the interim manager? Excuse oh, me. Um, yeah. The the man who was absolutely clear that he was not interested in taking the Atlanta United offered United. everything and agreed to absolutely nothing. Indeed. Well, my question, the reason why I brought all this up, Nick, was to just take a look at your scope or yes. how how you see Aki Loba fitting in here we've talked about we've talked about who how he can fit i've written about how he could fit into the team but if you were to take a wild guess at how long is too long for akiloba to get into the starting 11 
if you look at these matchups, you look at when they're played, where they're played, and perhaps even how they're played, given the 3-4-3 shape that Nashville is up to right now, when is too late for Akilova coming into the starting 11? Well, you got to think, so, given the, the glut of matches over the last month, two months, you got to think if you're thinking about depth and you're thinking about three matches in a, in, in a seven-day span um, from August 1st to August 8th here, you got to think it's in one of the next two, right? And Star, maybe star. you don't. You're, you're saying a star. Yes, I do. Um, wow. Maybe. I mean, you got you you got to rotate people. You got to make sure people are healthy for the stretch run here. Uh, you know that some of the people that are coming back from the Gold Cup aren't going to be a hundred percent through that stretch. If you get them back with the ability for them to to play, a, who knows how you know fit they will be be able to be through those last. 12 or 13 games after this month. But, I mean, is it the Miami game? I, I, I think the Miami game is a good target there because with New England, I don't think he'll get as much freedom to show what he'll be able to do on his front on the front foot there. That could that, That's going to be a game where I think the chances are going to be at a minimum. And I think that there's a likelihood that the Miami game – will prove to have the ability to open up a little bit. And if that's what you want to see from Ake Loba to be able to be a contributor up, you know, up you know, forward, I think giving him the best opportunity to succeed would be to put him in, not in this game against New England necessarily, but in this Miami game. But I think it's got to be one of the next two, right? Because of the way the schedule lays out. So Nick, uh, we, we've talked about this, that we, that we wanted to hear from Gary Smith about how the current attacking setup, uh, how, how they fared in this particular three match and eight day window, um, because we did see Sepong and Leal and Mukhtar again. And to your point, we're going to need to see a little bit more rest for Sepong. We're going to need to see a little bit rest of all the guys. But if you have the setup that's doing so well, yet just the outer pressures the out the 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 external pressures here might be getting to them a little bit or maybe it was just the fact that they were at Toronto but here's what Gary Smith had to say about the attacking three and how the quality just wasn't quite there yet to get that next goal but how he thinks that it will going forward let's take a listen what we would class is is the attacking trio that have have been so bright and and successful over the last um, month you know, Handy Randall and CJ have given it a really good shot. But, but we've got a lot of competition now. And the guys that come on are more than capable. I felt as though there was um, just a, a, a little slide. You know, maybe maybe the fact that they're forcing the issue themselves, they got a little bit exposed. And, and he had to be opened up two or three moments for us. And, and really and truly... Um, you know, we should have made more of it. It wasn't to be, but you're right. I felt as though we could we could win the game, and uh, you know, I think it was the right move. So, Drake, don't you think though that the composition of this team is going to change in terms of what the formations are going to be when these players come in? That, that's that's my thought process on that. Is we're not going to? I would be very surprised if we continue to see this formation going forward. Maybe not. The next day, next game or two, but in terms of when the full team is is healthy and available, 
Yeah, well, like Gary said just now, that there's there's obviously a lot of competition. That's a word that he said, and it's probably taken a little more weight. It's 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 gotten heavier. That weight, that word, excuse me, has gotten heavier the more that he's used it dating back to from, from March until now. It seems like the word is taken a little more weight, a little more weight. Starting with CJ Sapong coming on. Then you see the resurgence of Hani Mukhtar. And now you're talking about adding Ake Loba. So the word competition, I think, deserves to be broken down a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my 11, and I've done this before, but I've said that this 3-4-3, to your point, will probably not last much longer. But a back three, I believe, is still your best bet to put your best team on the field. And if you're Gary Smith, that might be something that you know, I, he's probably thinking about it, but it's not maybe what he's done in the past. And he's probably not in his – it's not in his mm, – let me just say that he's just used to the four-two-three-one that he's always played. But if you think about it, the back three with a 3-5-2 instead of a 3-4-3, you have Johnston as a center back, not as a wing back. That allows Randall Leal to stay in the side. You have Johnston, Zimmerman, and Romney. And you've got Leal, Godoy, Mukhtar, McCarty, and Dan Lovitz in your five. And then, of course, you've got CJ Sapong and Ake Loba up front. Sounds like a three. A three, five, two. A three, three. Well, hold on. A three, two. Three two, that's what no. it sounds like to me. No, I'm not gonna listen. You don't need to get super. <laughs> you don't need to get super FIFA on me. Everyone knows that. Yes. Party's gonna be the one that threads the ball into into Mukhtar. Godoy is gonna help out and holding and also protecting the back three. But I think the key here is the balance beam and the teeter totter of Randall Leal and Dan Lovitz as wingbacks. When the ball is shifted from, from side to side, what are you asking of Randall Leal going back and defending? What are you asking from Dan Lovitz, who has proven that wingback honestly is his best position given his ability to not only play balls down the line, we know his service into the box, we know about his ability to at least defend in one-on-one situations going the other way, um, he just has to be consistent in it. And I think supporters will probably think the same thing. But Randall Leal is how much do you expect from him going forward? I mean, excuse me, going, you know, tracking back. Is Are you going to ask him to double down with Alistair Johnson on the right? Or are you going to allow perhaps Anibal Godoy to, to come out of his central channel and help out um, Alistair Johnson a little bit? But regardless, I think that that's your best – opportunity to put your best players on the field under the best system that works for Nashville C in the way it likes to attack. And that's, and it's all basically about how do you utilize hot, you know, the be able to get the most production and the most uh, scoring chances and opportunities from Mukhtar and Rundle all that's really, you're, you're, you're finding out ways to feed them, finding out ways to put them in the right situations. And so I can see that as, as a good option there. I don't know about the three in the back. Uh, Gary doesn't seem like the kind of manager that 
I feel like three in the back for him is only as good as the results are going to be. And once the results start to, you know, once there's a, 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 you know, a loss or two with that, that then he's back to not a four, four, two, but you know, four in the back and, and figuring out, you know, four in the back with Godoy and McCarty tight towards, and then figuring out the composition up front, I think is, is always what you're going to see him revert back to in a sense, even if the formation and the players don't necessarily fit that that's what he's comfortable with. That's what they also can, can when, when push comes to shove, you're going to see that results out of that, that, yeah. that way. I, think. I don't know, Gary. I mean, I'm not Gary. I, I don't know, Nick. I don't think Gary is shaky. He's not shaky at all. And I don't think that a back to back pair of losses would lead him to just change shape just because they lost. I think it really is more about why they lost, how they lost, and are they beating themselves? I think this is, yeah. is the case. I mean, if there if, if there's a if there's an issue when Nashville reverts back to its mid season form of last year, you know, I'm talking August September before they had that 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 surge in October last year. Um, if they start creating minimal chances like they did in this three five two or three four three, then yeah, maybe they go to a four two three one again, or they go back to a four four two, which we saw against this New England side uh, when New England came to Nashville in early May. But right now, I don't think that's the case, and I don't think Gary is a shifty type of guy where he wants to just continuously switch just to say that he switched. And that, that's fair, but I also look at the way with the the what he had on Sunday. I don't necessarily know if that was the best way for that lineup to that the best formation for for those players. I, I thought that given the the youth and the inexperience in the back, and you know, with the the midfield, that isn't what he what is you know what is normal in terms of not just having Joey McCarty as, as the backbone of the team back there, I thought they struggled, especially in that first half hour with, with retaining possession, with, with having the, the free flowing, the, the quality possessions forward. I didn't see much of that at all. They were very lucky, honestly, to, to get the, the good bounces on their goal on the, off the cross and, and see, that came out. So I look at last. The, I look at the result as a good thing from the, from Sunday's game, but I look at the at, at the performance and the formation and say maybe it's something that they continue to look at, and it's not something that is set in stone, which I think we agree with. But you know, I, I, we'll see. I I, I think it, it's it, I think three at the back is not something we'll continue to see. I strongly disagree. And we're just going to leave it at that because yeah. my, my point is not to say that there is never going to be a back four or a back five. No, what I'm saying true. is what I'm saying is that there is not a phase. This is not a phase. This is an experiment coming to further more fruition than it has prior to the summer. And I think the five match uh, home stint did Nashville quite well, being able to see this grow in a protected environment, i.e. playing at home. And although we probably will see a back four against some teams like uh, maybe in Orlando, maybe we could see it against New England again 
and especially with squad rotation and your best player is not available, a Walker or an Anibal, and obviously Ake Loba is still not 90-minute match fit yet, I, I think that there are back four would be the case. But listen, National C still unbeaten. It's going to be tough. Obviously, you've been tested against Columbus. You've been tested against Toronto. Um, and definitely going to get tested on Wednesday. Indeed. Indeed. But that's episode 10. Well, season two. Well, episode 10. Well, it's a wrap. Well, what we need we need some predictions from, from no, we the, don't. the Tennesseans, Nashville SCB writer. Oh, my gosh. What did I say? 2-1 uh, against Toronto? We, we, miss, we, miss, we missed we that last goal. Ones. Yes, we did. We, we, did. Both we of missed. Us did. I was expecting a second goal from Nashville to, to get the three points. But listen, I always predicted this to be the end of the unbeaten streak for Nashville. So I'm going to say 1-0 New England at Gillette Stadium. It's going to be a tough pill to swallow, given that I predict there will be minimal chances on either side. And a Bruce Arena team will be just I – mean, it'll be hard to break down. And yeah. I think this is going to be very much a 1-0, probably an early goal sometime early in the first half. And you're going to see a goalless second half. New England gets the three points. Nashville comes back and gets ready for a very hot and humid matchup against Inter-Miami in Fort Lauderdale. Nothing better than a midweek match in Foxborough, let me tell you what. Disgusting. And I think, <laughs> and I think, thankfully, it's in August and not in either March or November. I think you're you're on the right track. I just don't think there's going to be any goals. I'm going to say scoreless draw, zero zero. What you know? I think there'll be a lot of rotation on both sides, and you will see that reflected in both tactics and in this final score. So, National SC zero, New England Revolution zero, will be your final. Now we can wrap it up because Nick Gray has got his beloved predictions in. Listen, you already know what it is. Drake Hills, Nick Gray, you know what to do. Subscribe to the Tennessean, Nashville SC. Follow, Drake, us, on, have a- follow, follow us on social media. Drake Hills Soccer on Instagram. Live Life Drake on Twitter. Nick underscore Gray on Twitter. Drake Hills, you had a Dave Romney story go live this morning. Do you have anything else for us this week? Uh, I, I I think that there will be some some numbers analysis looking at a very important and highly creative National SC player uh, following uh, the New England match. But stay tuned. That'll likely come on Thursday or Friday. As again, subscribe to the Tennessean. Tennessean.com slash National SC. Drake Hills, Nick Gray. We out. Plugged in. <laughs>